What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Where does pleasure fit into your life during challenging times, say, during a pandemic? With our lives changing in so many ways, pleasure can feel difficult to cultivate. It can also be more important than ever. I spoke with our resident sex and relationship therapist, Dr. Megan Fleming, the other day about prioritizing pleasure, the role gratitude and orgasms might play in self-care. Side note, they are also great for immune function. We also explored ways to navigate COVID-related challenges, such as missing human touch or having to quarantine where you don't feel safe, and answered a question about wedding planning during this wild time. I hope that wherever you are, you're staying as safe and healthy as possible out there and that you feel the light we are sending to you. Megan, thank you so much for joining me. As always, August, so love to be here. It's fun to have you in uh, sort of real time, and I know so much has changed since we last spoke in the world, um, for everyone, really. I'm curious, you're in New York City. It's this big epicenter of the pandemic. How are things going for you? You know, things are actually, for me, going really well, although I certainly can say uh, it's a very surreal time, and I'm just very fortunate. I'm in lower Manhattan. Um I have noticed that people are very respectful of like social distancing and wearing masks. I definitely have been speaking with clients that, you know, other boroughs uh, or like Upper West Side, other areas, they've actually had police on like megaphones uh, prompting social distancing. So, um, you know, it, it. for a city that never sleeps, it's really surreal to see you basically going out and not even necessarily seeing a single person. Um, so, you know, it's sort of mixed in that way. And we definitely, even in our building, have um, some people that are like front lines in terms of healthcare workers and emergency doctors. And, you know, a unique thing happening here is at 7 p.m., everybody is like shouting and ringing cowbells and really just you know, screaming support for everybody who's on the front lines of healthcare. So that really is a unique experience. Huh. I love that. I, I caught a little bit of that on the news. And I think it's such a beautiful way to um, really unify and come together in this really positive, grateful way. And uh, it's interesting what you said about the streets there, That how that's how it feels about the traffic here. It's so surreal to see these freeways that are always like bottlenecked and that you can't move and <laughs> just just like the ghost town feeling and then also to see the skies so blue and so bright and I'm really grateful that you're in a place that um, that people are respecting that's that's so important speaking of gratitude you brought up in a recent episode how important gratitude list can be during hard times during definitely during this pandemic and how it can play a role in cultivating pleasure. I wondered if we could talk a little bit more about that. Do you keep gratitude lists? 
I sort of have a gratitude journal. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, daily writing or practices. And I think that the role of gratitude, it's almost an extension of John Gottman's, the famous marital researcher. He talks about the five to one rule. And because of the negativity bias in the brain, especially think about now, we are bombarded with things that can create fear and anxiety, or maybe perhaps close quarters tension in your relationships. And it's so important in the face of that exposure to negativity that we offset it, right? And the role of the five to one is for every negative, what are five positive things are true? And gratitude is a, a version of that practice, what, right? Which is in this moment, you know, what can I be grateful for? You know, in this case, it's my health or my family. Um, because I think too often we take for granted what we have and we focus on Again, fear, anxiety, or what we don't have. And the practice is really about rewiring your brain to notice the positivity because left to our own devices, we're definitely going to favor negativity. It's just more uh, salient. Yeah. And the brain just jumps to that. It's like a survival tactic, right? And it's so interesting because you'd also mentioned the importance of limiting our exposure to the news. And I did a little bit of uh, Googling about this, and there was this big survey in 2018, so well before the pandemic. Findings were published in Time magazine, and it said that more than half of Americans say the news causes them stress. Many feel anxiety, fatigue. They lose sleep as a result. Yet one in 10 adults checks the news every hour, and fully 20% of Americans reported constantly monitoring their social media feeds, which often expose them to, you know, headlines. And right now the headlines can be quite terrifying. Why is that so important from a, a pleasure standpoint? Well, I think from a pleasure as well as a mental health perspective, um, to recognize it's about exposure and the news is constantly changing, even sometimes within hours, certainly within days. So I think it's really about limiting your exposure because if you check it once a day, you'll get that information then. It's not helping your brain because there's nothing you can necessarily, if there's, it'd be different if there's something you could do in the moment, right? People who are looking at what's happening in the stock market or looking at how many uh, cases or how many deaths, all of those facts, looking at that multiple times a day is only going to increase the sense of anxiety. And so, you know, this is really about preserving your mental health and well-being that, of course, you don't want to be in the dark and not knowing what's happening around you. But at the same time, limiting that exposure as well as thinking, when's the best time to get that exposure? You know, for many people, it's probably in the morning when they're more rested and relaxed, certainly probably not the evening and before you go to bed, because you don't want to be introducing those thoughts, images and ideas as you're trying to be decompressing and settling down. Yes, that's probably one reason I've heard people having many more nightmares is because it's the last thing you see before you go to bed. It's kind of in your psyche already. Exactly. And so, you know, what we're talking about is in this time and knowing that, again, we've never been through something like this before. Uh, it's really unprecedented. But that's why I always sort of say self-care is non-negotiable. And my new extension to that is, you know, if self-care is non-negotiable, because it really is what recharges us and what refuels us so that we have more to give. That's why they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself on the airplane first. Because I think for many of us, especially women, it can be counterintuitive. Uh, we sort of put ourselves at the, the bottom of that list. And so the, the self-care is, you know, just the bare minimum of feeling resourced. But the adding the pleasure is what uh, really, I think, 
it's such a difference in quality of life. It's not just, in a sense, making it through the day. It's like, what do I get to do today? And it really sets us into a place of, um, you know, when you're feeling good, it's like energetically, you just want to share that, that goodness. That's, you know, from my perspective, we do not, especially in times like this, because I think people can feel guilty. Like, how is it possible? Why should I in any way prioritize pleasure when I see so much pain or I see, uh, you know, people losing their lives? And it's, I can appreciate that it can seem like this isn't quote unquote the right time, but in some ways in my mind, it's never been a better time. Even for when you think about it, there's a time we need to be laughing, comedy. You know, we certainly know in research from cancer, uh, that, you know, the stress and anxiety of treatment, that what helps people is when they have a positive state of mind and when we laugh and feeling pleasure in our bodies and laughing are all things that are going to be in the service of our mental health and well-being. That is such an excellent point. And it reminded me of um, a news plan that I have kind of been sticking to, which was the sources of where I was getting my news was feeling stressful too. And so I switched to Trevor Noah for several days because he's doing his show on the couch <laughs> from his, his apartment where he will he will share the fact-based you know, headlines and the news, but he's funny as well and still very compassionate. And yeah, I agree that the humor is so, so big. I imagine some people might hear this and some people are like, yeah, completely. Like I really need this this pleasure and it's coming pretty easily to me. Um, I actually did a, a Twitter poll and asked, have you been prioritizing pleasure during the pandemic? And 38% of people said yes every day. 10% said no, it's too difficult. And 52% said here and there. And of course, this is not representative of everyone. It wasn't a large-scale you know, official study or anything. But I thought that was, that was interesting um, that some it sounded like the bulk of people either were, you know, really appreciating pleasure right now or struggling to some degree. What what would you have to say to somebody who's in that no, it's too difficult place? Well, I guess first I would say that I'm, you know, happy and sort of surprised. I mean, I know you said it wasn't necessarily a great, you know, sample size, you know, because from a statistical perspective, all those things matter, but that the majority of people are, even if not daily, often prioritizing pleasure is um, very hopeful for me. And that for those, because in some ways I would have imagined that might be higher than 10%, but for those who aren't, I think it's always to be where you are and to um, have self-compassion because you might be um, recently lost a loved one. You might have somebody who's really sick uh, and you're in a very caretaking role and you're feeling burnt out that really just checking in with yourself to understand what's your why, but that when, if right now and in this moment, uh, you're not in that space, it's just to double down on the compassion and self-care and knowing that in time and when you're feeling ready, that these pleasure practices and the role of prioritizing pleasure ultimately are going to be in your service and even in the service of those you love and care about. Mm, yes, absolutely. That self-compassion piece seems so big. I know that for me, I I will have days where I'm just feeling great and I'm just doing my thing. And there are some days where I just feel so exhausted. And I did have to give myself, proactively give myself permission to to rest more on those days. And, and that's made a big difference. And I know some people are 
in situations that are much more challenging than others. I I saw this um, article on BBC talking about the increased social isolation and how it's fueling for a lot of people a sense of loneliness or health anxiety or stress about you know, economic downturn, all these things that are much more pronounced if you already have a mental illness or if you are single or isolating alone, which I know a number of people who are. How how does this all play out for somebody who who doesn't have access to human touch, which I know can be such a source of of nurturing? I mean, it's a great question, and I do have a number of clients in that circumstance, so I definitely am hearing sort of those firsthand stories. And, you know, there's something to be said about not having touch. You know, it's been over a month for many of us, and it's looking like not that anything's been fully determined, but it could be easily be another month. And so um, one is to recognize and just as we sort of said, to name and know that there is that longing there. But that's where I think the technology, it's about connection and community. And now more than ever, I think there's so many opportunities through, uh, whether it's a Zoom platform, you know, you're hearing all these stories about people reconnecting with everyone from like middle school to high school, somebody you may not have talked about, or two in like 20 or 30 years. Or, you know, for some of my clients, it's getting, uh, being part of support groups, um, whether it's, um you know, a mixed group of um, different ages and genders, or it's more uh, of a cohesive group. So you feel like uh, you're with a group of people who are more identifying with your personal um, challenges and struggles. But overall, it's the any means by which you recognize you are not alone in this and that there always is that light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. I've noticed that there are a number of options for people to have online access to groups that are specifically dealing with these kinds of issues. I even saw one for people who are introverted and yet feeling like they don't have their own alone space right now. You know, there's all these different kinds of groups um, meeting by Zoom or, um, you know, different kinds of like Facebook groups, all kinds of, of things like that. And, and therapists certainly, as, as you are offering um, teletherapy or remote therapy can be so helpful. In the LA Times, they talked about how ironic it is that human touch boosts immune function, mm-hmm. uh, you know? And ironically, people who are isolating alone, they're supposed to be working on, you know, strong immune function and they can't connect. Some of their experts talked about the benefit. They said that yoga is sort of like a self-massage. I'd never heard that before, but I thought that was really interesting. Things that involve mindfulness and touch and even if it's your own body, stretching and walking. I personally know that Pets make a big difference. I've heard friends say that weighted blankets can help if you're feeling like you need, if you're feeling really anxious and you want that kind of comfort. Well, I think a few things are around there um, because, yes, it's absolutely true. We know like an extended hug, you know, 20 to 30 seconds releases oxytocin, which is sort of the cuddle or the attachment hormone. But we also know that when you have an orgasm, Right. It also releases dopamine and oxytocin. So, uh, you know, Betty Dawson was just in The New York Times sort of saying the safest sex is sex for one. So whether you're partnered or not, um, I think the role of orgasm to release tension in your body, to feel pleasure, to, uh, again, release oxytocin. 
to feel sort of more connected and less isolated that they're, you know, I've always sort of said instead of the Apple day, it's sort of the orgasm a day. Um, and for people to recognize, you always have that option of, and if you don't yet know or haven't yet had your own orgasm, because we talk a lot about that, this is a great time for exploration um, around what are your personal turn-ons and seeking more ways to feel pleasure in your body. Yes, absolutely. I did see that sex toy sales have been on the increase, which I was happy to see. That means that people are prioritizing pleasure um, enough to to want to connect in that way. And didn't I hear that New York even, you know, had some guidelines about safer sex through masturbation? Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there's even safer sex from the CDC about, you know, the role of penetration versus kissing, because kissing right now feels like more of a risk factor. Um, So certainly wherever you are, it's to educate yourself because we always want to be minimizing risk. But absolutely on your own, right, that is the safest sex in this context, um, unless obviously you've been this consistent time quarantined with your partner. Um, but I think it really is the thinking out of the box. Uh, and certainly for those who are long distance, the great thing about sex toys today is there's so many apps and ways of um, through Bluetooth technology that your partner can remotely be giving you pleasure. And so I think that this is a unique opportunity. I mean, we always sort of say the crisis can be the opportunity. And this can be either time of great growth or struggle. And throughout it, it may at times be both of those things, because as you said, sometimes we have those down days. But I think it's to realize when we do resource ourselves and we do prioritize self-care and pleasure practices and we prioritize that, um, we're more likely to be in a place in a state um, that we're, you know, we have more to give and we are protecting ourselves, again, going back to immune functioning, right? Because stress is cortisol, right? And so if we're just focusing on the news or our finances or what might be happening with our jobs, we are just swirling in that sort of negativity and that negativity bias. And it it's so important that we don't let that just happen, that we can step outside of ourselves, observe that process and realize, you know, what we choose to do and think is a choice point and we can always redirect our attention. Mm, Yeah, that's really beautiful. I I saw that there's a potential condom shortage coming too. So as you were saying that, I thought what a beautiful way for somebody who wants to make sure they don't get pregnant at this time and they can still have fun, whether they're doing mutual masturbation with a partner or for, you know, just on their own. It's a, it's a beautiful way to, to celebrate and to have a new adventure, the, the sense of novelty in a time when your life might start feeling a little mundane in certain ways. I think that's beautiful. I do have a question from somebody named Kelsey. She said that she got engaged over the weekend, hashtag love in the time of COVID. And she wrote this, I'm looking for advice, tips, resources to get her wedding planning started. She just got engaged. Um, And she said, I want to start planning during quarantine since I have the time and I know planning while working will be a nightmare, but I am so overwhelmed. One of the biggest things is our guest list, which is at 200. How do you know who is okay to leave out? We have big families and every time we try to cut it down, it's basically removing like one or two people. The amount of friends on the list is at 50 and then family at 150. Oy. So there, there does do, seem to be a sense of overwhelm. And I think it's interesting. She wants to make the most of this time and go, oh, I have this time to plan. Uh, but it's it's also feeling overwhelming. 
Well, I get that not only for, you know, love in the time of COVID and those who are just getting engaged, but certainly I have a number of clients who have already had to postpone their weddings or I have another one. Uh, her wedding is in July and it's supposed to be 300 people and they haven't yet made that call. Um, so there's a, you know, she's definitely not alone in feeling sort of the stress and the tension and also wanting to seize the opportunity. In terms of those resources, you know, there's wedding planners, there's great wedding magazines, talking to your friends, um, really sort of seeking out those resources. But I think predominantly the challenge here is, uh, you know, the headcount, essentially. Um, and so I'm not sure if that's based on uh, if they had an expectation or maybe it's a venue that they're looking at and it caps at 150 or it's a financial limitation. Um, because I think that what it probably brings up, because she mentioned, you know, 50 are her guests and 150 are um, sort of, you know, parents and family friends. And so I've seen more now than ever sort of those conversations you know, who are we celebrating? And, you know, it used to be that it was cousins, aunts, uncles, you know, a lot of your extended family, which you may or may not be that close to. Um, and listen, this is a very personal decision. There's no gold standard here. It's a case by case basis. I think it's really to sit down um, first with your partner and then ultimately with your family members, if they might be contributing financially to say, what is it you want the day to look and feel like? Um, and based on that, are there other ways of maybe including people or helping them feel like they're a part of it? They may not necessarily include them being at the actual event. Um, I, I can also think that because it's really uncertain yet when, because we're not, we don't know maybe a year before we get a vaccine, um, it's literally safe to be getting together in such large groups. It's also uh, a time to consider, especially if you have older relatives, grandparents, how you might be doing something virtually for them, or um, it's sort of a, you know, a teleclass or it's a live, so that they have a live stream, right? That they have an access, an ability to be part of the celebration, but not necessarily present. So I really think it's first and foremost, it's an opportunity to start those conversations. And sometimes they're difficult um, because everybody, you know, wants to be there, be a part of it. But ultimately, you know, it's up to uh, the couple themselves to, in my mind, really cast the vision for the wedding they want and who they want to be there. I completely agree. I, I love that idea of um, really thinking who you most desire, because I think so often it's this concern about disappointing certain people or, you know, the kind of shoulds that we have, which sometimes in weddings, we will invite people who, you know, we may not totally want them to be there, but it's really important to a mom or to, a, you know, and that's okay to make those decisions too. But I love the idea of starting with who you know you want to be there. And then the the piece about having a remote option, that's something that I think is coming from this pandemic is I have a friend who's celebrating her birthday online. And she lives on the East Coast, and I would not normally be able to join her. I've never been to a birthday celebration for her. <laughs> and uh, she said she might do this every year. So maybe we'll have more connection in a way. I, absolutely. I mean, I think that's great. And whether certainly it's birthdays, I've also... Um, you know, seeing even people doing um, videos, like everybody's sending in a clip and one of the, you know, family or friend is editing it, right, to put it all together so that more people are, are you know, actively engaged in that celebration. And I've also heard this in terms of funerals, that because people aren't able to grieve, um, they're starting to do YouTube or Zoom or other ways of people can share their sentiments. And even when it's recorded, it really helps somebody really um, 
like a shiva sort of celebrate their their loved one and i think anything that un, um decreases that sense of aloneness or isolation whether it's for a happy occasion like a birthday or a sad one like a funeral that you know we're not meant to be doing it alone absolutely you're so right about that and i really felt what you were saying about people who are grieving because i think people are grieving you know the death of a loved one and they are also grieving events that they were supposed to go speak at or, you know, celebrate at, um, gatherings they were supposed to be at, parts of their usual lives. Um, that's just, that's so big. And I, I love that people are getting creative. And and thankfully, we are in this digital age where we can connect. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention um, some of the difficulties people are facing with with domestic violence, being stranded at home with someone that you're not safe around. As a as a clinical expert, what what is your take? What is your best advice for someone who is not feeling safe where they're staying? Well, I think, um, and I definitely want to address that part, but I think the first is to highlight, because some people may not be aware if that's not part of their inner circle, but um, unfortunately, in a circumstance like this lockdown, domestic violence is on the rise. Um, in Spain, they have reports that it's increased by a fifth, and in France, up by a third, and certainly similar trends in the UK, the US, and China. And so I think first, and in fact, as a therapist, um, when I did some training with again, John Gottman and they look at assessment, we don't often as therapists even ask that question around domestic violence. And yet this even not in a quarantine time, it is a significant number. So I think it always on some level needs to be top of mind that we're uh, mindful and thinking about may this be a friend or family member who might be in an unsafe situation. And that ultimately, it's trying to find what are those safe options. There are actually hotels that are um, offering, you know, I mean, go to your state and look at hotlines and the different resources. And I know that we can find them and put them in the show notes, um, because importantly, it's if you're feeling unsafe, that there's always an option of where can you go? Um, and more and more there are people coming together to create more options. And yet, as I say that, I can also appreciate because it's not necessarily um, sort of emergent personnel that some of the hotlines and those resources aren't as open or as available as they used to be. And so, as always, friends, families, therapists are available online uh, just to know that there are always resources. Um, and the first and foremost, if you're you know, safety is non-negotiable always. Um, so when and if you're in that situation to reach out to a mental health professional, uh, to friends, and to know that there's always an option and there's always a resource to help keep you safe. That's such a wonderful um, piece of advice and, and a reminder that I think when you're in that situation, it sometimes feels like there aren't options. So to hear you say that there are options and even if you try one number and it doesn't work out, that there are other resources. That's I really appreciate that you shared that. That's really important. I'll definitely share some links in the show notes. And uh, we're sending so much um, love and support to people who are in any kind of difficult situation, especially not feeling safe right now. And as you say that, August, the other thing I want to add is I can imagine in circumstances of domestic violence, you know, again, there might be increased uses of because of the stress, whether it's alcohol or substance abuse. So, you know, I think on one hand, it's also about 
for your partner who might, you know, people don't wake up and think that they want to be violent to their partners. Usually it's when they're uh, sort of triggered to that. We call that the amygdala hijack, right? That all rational thinking's offline. And there's a reason we say rage is blind, right? So um, I think it's also helping couples recognize what are the warning signs or flags that tensions are rising or that someone is irritable or short-tempered or short-fused, because this, again, is where, you know, whether it's the timeout, the role of having space as a couple, um, whether you're going outside or you're in a different room, but that, you know, it's really about being proactive, that you're not getting to those kinds of situations that can be so turbulent. Um, and so I really want to empower people to uh, begin to have those difficult conversations. You know, what is it you you, you both need? Um, how can you address that given your current environment um, to really just help each other get the space and the practices that help someone to relax and decompress. Mm, yes, absolutely. That's that's so important. And on a practical level, if if the situation is you're going to be in the same house, you know, not everyone can just leave. And also sometimes that's the most dangerous time for someone to just leave without a plan. Um, so I, I really appreciate that very much. And, and finding ways to, as you said, address everybody's challenges like how can we make this work so important um i want to go back to one of your tips from your wonderful um thoughts about the importance of of prioritizing pleasure in the midst of this this time and you really recommended savoring two things a day like choosing two specific things why do you think that's important well i think part of it is always the commitment like the prior prioritization of pleasure. And then it's ultimately about the practice, whether, um, you know, most people probably identify more with say yoga or meditation or mindfulness sort of as a practice. But again, as I said earlier, the role of pleasure, what makes you feel good? Um, it, it like resources you above and beyond just sort of the, the natural level of self-care. When it comes to pleasure, it's not something that necessarily takes a lot of time or even costs money. Uh, it could be savoring a you know, favorite piece of chocolate, or it could be, uh, you know, drying the bath with sort of uh, aromatherapy, or it's, you know, accessorizing, or it's dancing, you know, for no particular reason in the middle of the day. It's just, I sort of say we are all our own experts. So I think everybody listening should create a list for themselves, right? Like your top 10 things that give you pleasure. Um, some of them that are really quick and easy and you can do on your own. Some maybe you need to incorporate your partner um, into but that ultimately and mindfully each day you're allowing prioritizing at least two things that um, – just sort of up-level any experience and just give pleasure that feels good in the body. And I think importantly, you know, often when we think about pleasure, pleasure doesn't equal hedonism, right? It doesn't mean excess per se. It just means doing something that feels good. And I think it's important to qualify that doing something that feels good isn't bad um, because I think some people out there think pleasure equals uh, excess. That's such a good point. Yes, we definitely have that idea of pleasure equals excess and somehow restriction means you're like really determined and disciplined and you know and and actually neither of those are quite true if you commit with discipline to savoring each day something that's wonderful what is something in your life right now that that would fall on that list for you what's what's a 
practice of pleasure that you're savoring? So for me, it's getting outside. Um, and if the weather's nice, getting on a bike, uh, because I used to spin and I miss that practice. Um, and, you know, I'm also savoring just this time with my kids. I have a 13 year old and a 16 year old and, you know, I'm, maybe it's the psychologist in me constantly aware of like, oh, my daughter's about to go to college. You know, we don't have this time and opportunity uh, that we have right now. And I think that, you know, creating rituals. Another interesting thing that I do um, and been doing with my family is sort of what we call nostalgize. It's actually a term from a uh, social psychologist because we have seen that the, there are remarkable benefits of reliving positive experiences. In fact, in my pleasure challenge, I, I call it revisiting the ghost of pleasure past. So looking at old photos. So we're looking at vacations that we took this time. Usually this is spring break in previous years. And I also love looking at the pictures of when they were little kids and, and babies. And for all of us, it's just like, it is just so much fun to go back and relive those moments. And it brings forth such great feelings. Um, and so certainly that's a practice that I really highly recommend because we really want to anchor and um, like enlarge in our life, those moments that really are sort of peak, peak experiences for us. Yes. Oh, that made me smile so much. My, my parents have been sending, cause they live in Minnesota, uh, like 2000 miles away. And, and it's a nice way to, um, connect. They've been sending like photo of the day or flashback Friday or, you know, like old photos they're going through. And, um, it's been really fun. Some photos I've never seen before. Uh, my mom shared uh, like a funny story about, you know, when we were really little and, yeah, those things are really, really fun for sure. You mentioned your nine-day pleasure challenge, which was so fun for anyone who was a part of that. You already know that. Um, and now you are offering it in a really exciting way where people can kind of go at their own pace. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we had it had launched in January and so many people, um, you know, the feedback was how helpful it was. And again, I think often people think that – and it's true, right? Logistically, it is a time management <laughs> issue. Um, and we really need to figure out how we do prioritize pleasure. But when people did the exercises, because they were sort of pleasure prompts each day, they realized, wow, I do experience it. You know, you feel the difference. When you allow for pleasure, you feel the benefits of pleasure. And so um, anybody who might be listening, because I think we especially just like laughing, comedy and humor, we need pleasure right now. So I invite you to um, start this pleasure challenge. And the way it is now is the day that you sign up, you will get the first day. And then each day you're going to get a different pleasure prompt. Um, and, you know, ultimately, of course, love to hear feedback Um because it, I think it's an opportunity for us, you know, we often make decisions um, about wanting to make changes in our lives, but it's really about the commitment. And so being with others who are equally committed to doing this challenge together um, has really been, oh, you know, a wonderful experience. So anybody who's interested, I would love for them to then go to my website, which is great life, great sex uh, forward slash pleasure, and then they can sign up. And the other thing I want to announce sort of around all of this is um, I'm really excited to be hosting an event for World Sexual Health Day which, for North America, and that's going to be happening in September. Uh, this year's theme had been Pleasure Matters, which, of course, is so up my alley and I'm like so passionate about. Um, but 
the there was just a committee, international committee meeting that because of what's happening in a global scale right now, the theme has changed to sexual health and rights in the time of confinement. And so I can certainly say, you know, how much sense that that makes. But not only can't I wait to host this event, I can assure you that even in this new conversation, pleasure can and should always get its due. So if you're interested in hearing more about um, how to sign up for that and what's going to be happening and sort of the details, uh, also you can reach out to me through Great Life, Great Sex, forward slash pleasure, and I certainly will keep you notified about the upcoming details for World Sexual Health Day. After our conversation, I was thinking about those of you with kids and unique challenges you might be experiencing. I have heard friends of mine who are parents say they are loving the special time, as exhausting as it can be. Some have said their kids aren't sleeping well, therefore they aren't either. I've heard single parents say they wish they had some respite, and parents talking about missing alone time or grieving along with their kids who are missing out on prom or traditional graduation ceremonies. If you relate to any of that, Dr. Megan and I are sending so many good thoughts and vibes your way. I asked Megan if she had any related thoughts or pointers to share, and she said this, To all the parents out there, you are doing an amazing job. I know we are all motivated to be doing our best in times like these. I also know, even for myself, times can get trying and patience can get thin. Have compassion for yourself and take that as a warning sign or flag that you need to prioritize within an hour self-care and my personal reco pleasure, small things that give you pleasure and don't have to cost money or take a lot of time. One of my favorite go-to pleasures is putting on one of my favorite songs and dancing, moving my body and getting my heart rate up. Try it. I bet it will become on your shortlist too, to reset and reboot your mood. That sounds fun for all of us. I think we should do that today. Such good advice as always. Thank you, Megan. To learn more about her free nine-day pleasure challenge, Click the link down in the show notes or head to greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure. When you sign up, you'll get a free gift to download her clitoral play manual. The challenge is for folks of all genders, and it's such a fun way to feel supported and guided as you make way for more pleasure in your daily life. If you have a topic or question you would like explored in an upcoming episode, please drop me a note through my website. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would so appreciate a rating and review. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.